0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Okay, well, good morning, Midtown family. Uh, Great to worship with you this morning. Fun to see so many new faces and y'all enjoying each other's company. Um, I do see some new faces, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as our associate pastor. And so, yeah, walk low, Cleo. There you go. Um, really glad to meet you guys. And I want to reiterate to, for you college students, I see it's like almost like a UT football game. Did you know we actually won yesterday? Yes? Pretty, pretty awesome. And I like that at our church, just like at the UT games, we've got a student section just right there. I see you guys. It's a student section. Fun fun time. Way to go showing up here after a great win. Um, I was actually thinking, you know, this is the fourth Sunday for for students, and so I know this is about the time of year where you're trying to figure out exactly which church that you're going to be part of, and we would love if that would be Midtown. So we welcome you guys. We'd love it. I was thinking back, uh, 32 years ago, I was a freshman at UT, and I came to a church called First Evangelical Free Church that met in this building. So 32 years ago, I was sitting actually in that same area over there when I was a student, (laughs) and so I'm old. That was a long time ago. Hey, well, three times a year, we do something pretty fun as a church. As you heard Chris say, one of our visions or what we, what we want to do is we want to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. And so three times a year, we pick a particular practice of Jesus, and then we actually try to practice it. And what's fun, we don't just talk about it on a Sunday morning, so we do talk about it on a Sunday morning. But what, what we really want you to do is then take what you hear on Sunday and begin to practice it during the week, and then gather with your Midtown communities or your huddles or your friends, and then have conversations about like, well, how did it go? How's it, how's it going? Trying to practice this practice of Jesus. And so this fall, we're taking on one that we're calling BLESS. And BLESS is a, a kind of an acronym that we use that describes really a, a way that Jesus lived his life. Jesus said of himself, he said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. He said of himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived and died to bless other people. And so what we're going to to try to do this fall is take steps to do some of the things that Jesus did as he blessed people. And we've got a little clever acronym. I think it should be up here behind me, BLESS. We've got BEGIN WITH PRAYER, meaning that Jesus began by praying for people. We're going to look at that specifically today. LISTEN WITH CARE, that Jesus blessed people by asking them questions, having conversations, diving in deep with people. EAT, Jesus blessed people by having meals with them. We often see Jesus having meals and other people hosting him, him having conversations as he eats and drinks and parties with others. Serve. One of the ways that Jesus blessed people was that he served them by meeting their physical, their emotional, their spiritual needs. And then share the Savior that Jesus blessed people by announcing the coming kingdom and announcing what he was bringing to earth. And so what we're trying to do here as a church is we're actually trying to practice that, these things together. And so today we get to jump in with the begin with prayer. I know it kind of bugs me that this is how the acronym goes because it B, no, it j- okay, begin with prayer. Just, just deal with it. I've had to deal with it. So it's, it's good. It's easy for us to memorize it. So we're going to talk about that. But it, I want to, uh, if you didn't listen last week, I really want to encourage you to go back. Because last week Jake talked about just kind of an introduction to this whole idea of blessed. But really what he talked about was the motive for blessing. And he taught us that motive for blessing is for us to reflect on how God has blessed us. Like we have to reflect on how the good news came to us and how God has loved us and what he's done for us. And if we don't do that and let that be our motivation for bless, we're going to get the rest of bless all wrong. And so I really would encourage you, if you haven't listened to that, to go back. And so last week, the assignment that you had, if you, if you got one of your blessed guides, your assignment was this week you were supposed to uh, rejoice, reflect and rejoice. Reflect on how God has saved you, what he's done for you, and then rejoice in it. And let that be the overflow that makes you want to take next steps toward blessing one another, all right? So I hope that you guys did that this week. If not, you can start doing it this week, too. You can do all these things together. But today, we're going to talk about beginning in prayer. Let me ask, like, no show of hands here, but how many of you, if you've been with us, maybe you were with us last year where we did community as one of our practices, then we did prayer as one of our practices, then we did Sabbath as one of our practices. And how many of you, when you heard we were going to do bless, maybe felt a little nervous, like, yep, thanks, Michael. <laughs> a little nervous, because this one's a little different. Like, the, the, at least two of those. Community was with each other. But then when we went with prayer and we went with Sabbath, that's really just you and God. You know, so you're pre- taking on a practice of Jesus in the way that he related to his father. And, and those are wonderful. We're going to continue to walk through these. But maybe when you got to hear about this one, you went, uh-oh. Like, this one means I need to, like, engage other people. And that kind of makes me nervous. And so I spent some time this week just trying to think through, like, what are the barriers? What are the things that really kind of stir up in our hearts when we start to feel like a little nervous about, oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can trust God to do this, this step with Jesus. And I think that there's probably many, many, many different reasons. But the three that I came up with is technically six, but I categorized them in three things are uh, selfishness and apathy, uh, busyness and distraction, and fear and unbelief. So let me explain. Why I think that these are the things that that kind of naturally arise in our hearts when we start thinking about blessing people. Or you could say that these are the the primary hindrances. These things keep us from actually practicing this way of Jesus living to bless others. Selfishness and apathy. I mean, selfishness is the the root of sin, and we're all sinful, so we, we tend, if we're honest, to mostly think about ourselves. Maybe our family, maybe our closest loved ones, and those are the people who are going through the grid of our mind, and so we don't necessarily walk through the day thinking about other people. Thinking about those in our lives that maybe aren't yet following Jesus. On top of that, we also can grow apathetic because we just constantly think about ourselves. We're not looking at the needs of others, or maybe we're even so burdened by the needs of others that we just kind of grow hard hearted. And I think when you think about living on mission, living to bless other people like Jesus did, because of selfishness and apathy, you might have this feeling. And I also meant to say, I want you to try to identify if any of these three are true. They might all be true, but if there's particularly one of them, identify which one might be yours. But if you struggle with that, maybe we hear about this call for us to, to live to bless others. Maybe you think, uh, my heart's just not in it. Like, if you're really honest, like, I just, I don't really have a heart for it. And that's okay to admit that that's there. We're going to talk about uh, how we can start to get a heart for it today. Or maybe it's a busyness and distraction. You know, living to bless others, you start thinking about, well, I've just got so much going on. I've got so many different things going on. It feels like when you ask me to bless others, then I've got to like add something to my schedule and I'm busy with classes and work and social activities and times with friends. And so when you think about trying to live to bless others, you think to yourself, um, I don't have time. I just don't have time. Or a third thing that came to mind as being one of the things that at least I feel like become barriers to blessing is, is fear fear and, and unbelief, that we think, well, I really don't know if I can do that because I'm afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing, or someone might ask me a question that I don't know how to answer. I don't want to be rejected. I don't, I don't want to fail. And so you get filled with fear, maybe even some unbelief because you think, well, people really don't want to know. People don't want to know about what Jesus has done in my life. And so I just, I don't, I just, don't, I just have unbelief. And so if you, if you find yourself in that category, when you hear about trying to live to bless others, you think to yourself, I can't do it. I can't do it. Do any of those ring a bell? Any of those feel like they come to your heart, come to your mind when you think about living to bless others? You find yourself saying, my heart's just not in it, or I don't have time, or I just don't think that I can do it. Well, I want to tell you that there's one way, the most significant way to overcome all of those barriers. Surprise. It's begin with prayer. Prayer is really the kryptonite. Prayer is the thing that will actually change your heart and give you a heart for others. Instead of selfishness and apathy, you can grow in compassion and selflessness. Instead of fear and unbelief, you can grow in boldness and be faith filled. Instead of busyness and distraction, you can become mission minded and, and focused on the people that God has put in your life. This is God's secret purpose in prayer. I like to say, God's secret purpose in prayer is actually to change you because we're often thinking, well, when I pray, I'm praying for God to do stuff out there. But really what happens when you're praying is God is actually doing a work and changing you, and he can make you selfless. He can make you compassionate. He can make you bold. He can make you faith-filled. He can make you focused and mission-minded and noticing the people in your lives as you pray. Because as I joking like to say, prayer is the gateway drug to mission, okay? Prayer is the gateway drug to mission. It's the way that you get your heart moving and aligning with God and what he wants to do in the world. And so we're going to look at that today. And I want to try to tell you that prayer is a thing. Prayer is a gateway to changing your heart for other people. But before, it's important that we actually look at this practice of Jesus because we're talking about how this is actually something Jesus did. And that's why we're practicing it because he's our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our Rabbi. We're, we're learning to practice his ways. Let's look real quick at how Jesus did this, how he began in prayer. The four gospel accounts <clears throat> of Jesus' life. They actually detail in great detail. They could tell stories about Jesus always sneaking off to pray or praying with others. And for some reason, I don't know why, but Luke actually records it the most. In fact, if you read from Luke 1 through 11, nine times, so nine times in 11 chapters, Jesus is either seen sneaking away to go pray or he's gathering people to pray. Nine different times. In fact, I would actually, I, I would joke, like if I could subtitle Luke, it would be Luke, things Jesus did at, between prayer meetings. I mean, that's, that's really what it looks like, so much so that the disciples actually come to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I like to think if I was a disciple, I would have been, like, their degree of holiness to ask for that, but I know that I probably want to say, like, Lord, teach me to walk on water. <laughs> Lord, teach me to multiply wine. Like, that would be really good for parties. Like, No. But there really was something so extraordinary about Jesus' prayer life that 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 was the thing that they asked. Rarely did they actually come to him and say, hey, teach us this. But they kept seeing Jesus go off to pray. And it was different from other things that they had seen. And so they sought sought him out to say, Lord, teach us to pray. We we want what you've got. So let me just show you three examples in in Luke. It starts from the very start. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus had just been baptized, just about to start his ministry. And Luke records it this way. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry and then Jesus full of the holy spirit left the jordan and was led uh, by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those 40 days and at the end of them he was hungry that's one of the big understatements in the bible <clears throat> how did jesus start his ministry he's just starting his ministry he just got baptized what does he do he began with prayer He began by spending 40 days praying and fasting. And while we don't know exactly what he prayed for, we know the temptations that happened during that time, but odds are, I'd say it's very safe to say what Jesus was doing was he was praying about his ministry. He was praying for others because right after he comes out of this time of prayer, he actually goes to Galilee and he goes in a synagogue and he gives his first sermon. What do you think Jesus was praying about? He was praying for the Galileans. He was praying for the people that he was just about to go start his ministry with because Jesus began in prayer. If you go on and read uh, the next part of Luke, then he actually leaves Galilee, and he goes to a town called Capernaum, and in Capernaum, he goes to the synagogues again, and he starts preaching and teaching, and th- people come to him for healing. He actually heals Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, Bern and I were actually in uh, Jerusalem uh, last October, and we got to actually stand in the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus was, pretty, pretty wild. And then what they presume to be historically known to be Peter's house, we got to stand on top of it and look back in toward Jesus would have healed. But Jesus went back there and it says that when he was in Capernaum, so many miracles and things happened that he had to do ministry all the way through the night. Tired, tired Jesus. And what do we read about what happens the next morning? Luke chapter four. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that's why I was sent. And he kept preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea. After a busy night of ministry, Jesus sneaks up, gets up early, sneaks out to go pray. And we don't get it word for word what he was praying for, but you get an idea what he was praying for because when people interrupt him and say, hey, we want you to do this, he says, nope, I've got to go to other towns. You get the sense that what Jesus was likely praying about was I'm going to start praying for these other towns that I'm going to. I'm going to begin in prayer. I'm going to prayer lead the way to where I'm going next. And if those don't convince you, one more will show you Um, In Luke chapter 6, one of those days, Jesus went to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12, whom he designated to be apostles. Jesus spends an entire night praying, and this one's even more clear. What was he praying about? Among other things, we know he's praying about who he was going to call. Who was he going to wake up that next morning and call to be his disciples? He's praying by name for all these people whose names he's going to call out that next morning. Jesus began in prayer and he prayed for other people. This was the definitive practice of Jesus and its first step for us as we try to bless our neighbors, our coworkers, and our friends and our classmates. We have to begin in prayer. So let me just ask, just before we get into the next part, like, how often are you doing that? Like, how often are you going before God and praying on behalf of others who aren't yet following Jesus that you love and you want them to follow Jesus with you? How often? How often are you not just praying generally for my workplace or generally for my neighborhood, but people by name, bringing them before God? Like, that's the practice of Jesus. That's the way he started to bless, and that's the way that we're going to start to bless. And as we do, we're going to find out that prayer doesn't just change what's going on out there. It changes our hearts. And those three things that I mentioned that kind of get in our way from living out to bless others begin to erode, but only when we pray first, because that's what God wants to do in prayer. Let me talk first about the first one, selfishness um, and apathy. Uh, One of the battles I think that we face, like I said, is from blessing it to bless others is selfishness and apathy. Uh, When we pray for others, though, We resist the enemy. It's resistance. And our prayer for other people helps us become selfless and compassionate. So did you identify? Did you identify with apathy? Did you identify with that battle being for you? I want to tell you, man, prayer is where God can change your heart. Prayer is where God can take you from apathetic to compassionate, from selfish to selflessness because you pray for others. It should kind of come as no surprise that that would be true, right? It's just kind of in our design that as you pray for people, they're going to be on the top of your mind, and you're going to stop thinking less of yourself and more of other people, concern and care about what they need. Uh, simply put, uh, you think about the people that you pray about most often, right? How many of you have actually uh, recently tried to buy a car, used car or new car? This is, I don't know, this is probably your experience because it always happens with me. Yeah, Cam's raising his hand. He's, he's ready. <laughs> <laughs> One more year. Um, one of the things that happens for me whenever I start doing, uh, looking for a car, whenever I'm looking for a used car, I always go to, like, Kelly Blue Book, and I get the consumer reports and try to, you know, figure out which make and model is going to be good, reliable, all the, all the jazz. But then once I start deciding, like, this is the car that I want, and now I'm going to start looking for it, what happens? When you're on the road, you see it everywhere, don't you? You're like, wait, why is this car, this car is everywhere? Why does everyone have an Acura RDX like everyone does now that I'm looking at it? I never knew it before. But in a real similar way, that's what happens when you pray for people. When you start praying for people by name daily, you're going to see them everywhere. But it starts when, when you pray by name for your friends. Beyond making us selfless, it actually helps, helps make us more compassionate as well. Because you begin to see people, you begin to notice their physical, their emotional, their spiritual needs, and you see them in a different way, and your heart grows. And, and whatever that apathy that you would admit that maybe you have in your heart, trust me, start praying for people by name, and God can just erode that apathy, and fill it up with compassion because you're gonna see people. I've already showed you how Jesus practiced prayer. Let me show you some of the fruit that it produced in his life. In Matthew 11, Jesus is described as having compassion on these people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. When Jesus saw the masses, when he saw people, he saw people, he knew them and his heart broke for them. He had compassion for them, those that were wandering and his heart broke and his natural inclination then went, well, now that these people are broken and they're wandering, let's pray. And specifically let's pray for workers. And I tell you, one of the things that Jesus knew is that when you start to pray for workers, you're actually gonna end up becoming the worker. That's another one of God's tricks in prayer. When you start praying for God to do something in your neighborhood or in your workplace or among your friends, what you're going to find is you start to pray for it, you start to get to heart for it, and all of a sudden, you are the worker. You're going to be an answer to your own prayers. It's God's secret purpose to grow you in compassion like that. When I first came to faith, uh, the guy that led me to faith taught me uh, really early on how to pray for others because I'd come uh, from a gr- group of guys that were uh, just not very good friends. That was the main reason why I came to faith was seeing this Christian community so different from these guys that picked on me. I was smaller for my age. My darn parents started me early in class. But they shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> so I was a small guy on the football team and these guys used to, used to pick on me. And there's this one guy in particular, like when he knew that I came to faith, he then started to tease me about it. And there was this one bumper sticker. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Someone had a bumper sticker, one of our teachers that said, if God's your co-pilot, switch seats. Yeah, clever, clever, you know, bumper sticker. So every day when we do our little warm-up runs and stuff, you know, I'd, I'd be right behind him. Every time he'd get right in my face, he'd say, hey, if God's your co-pilot, switch seats. <laughs> every time. I mean, we, we're, doing, we're doing warm-ups, you know. You, you do this 20 times, and every time he'd say that to my face. And I'm just like, I'm going to punch this guy <laughs> so hard. And the guy that led me to faith kindly suggested that I instead start praying for him. And so the guy that I really despised, became a guy that I had compassion for, a guy that I loved, a guy that I actually started inviting to the Bible studies that I was leading with the team. My heart changed simply by praying for him. If we'll commit to pray for people and pray like Jesus did for people, we will grow to become more selfless and more compassionate, which is why prayer is the gateway to mission. It helps us become selfless and compassionate. Second thing that prayer does it it help us become people that are mission-minded and focused. So if one of the battles that you face that maybe rose up when I was talking about them earlier is the, is the idea of blessing others, you just think, I'm just too busy, and there's too many distractions. Well, I want to tell you that prayer for others is how you resist the enemy. That's how you resist that and become focused and mission-minded. So if you identified with the questions that, or the thought, I don't have time, I want to tell you, start praying for people, and you'll start finding time because they're going to be on your hearts. The problem with busyness and distractions, the ultimate problem with busyness and distractions, they keep us from the most important thing, people. That's who God cares for. That's who God wants us to bless. And when we get busy and distracted with work and classes and social activities, and we run running and running and running, and our eyes get off of people, we get off track and we drift from the mission that we should share to bless other people. And this is really, you can think about it, this is like a battle every day. (laughs) I mean, every morning when you wake up, you're deciding what to do with your time, and you step into something, you get up late, and your day is off and running, and you've already got things to do and things you have to do, and your mind goes elsewhere, and you begin to keep your eyes off of people because you're just getting your stuff done. But I want to tell you that if you make time to pray for other people, you're going to see the entire day, the entire busy day that you have with completely different lenses, uh, I've always been really impressed and encouraged by my friend, Tony Boudet. Tony uh, is, was, he was the president of uh, University Federal Credit Union. So big wig in the financial world. But Tony had a discipline of prayer that amazed me. As busy as he was, what he would do every day is he would look at his calendar. He'd look at every meeting that he was having coming up. And then he would pray for every single person that he had a meeting with that day. And he would pray, God, open my eyes, open my ears to any other opportunities I'm not just going to run through the busyness or the, the meeting itself that needs to have the goals accomplished, but I want to notice people. And he did that every day and it changed his heart and it made him go into every meeting and every busyness completely differently because he had first prayed for everyone by, by name. You know, in most cases, when it comes to blessing other people, God's not going to call you to do something outside of your normal rhythms and schedules. Instead, God is probably going to call you to do is to pray for people that are in your lives already. It's not adding something to your life to bless. It's noticing people that are already in your world and living then to bless them. And I'm telling you, if you pray for them like that, you will have that singularity of focus like my friend Tony had. I don't know if this is true or not, but I've always been convicted by Martin Luther's quote. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> now, I'm not encouraging you to do that. That might be a little, little outrageous. Maybe he was being a little sarcastic, but I love the sentiment of it. Like he thought, like on his busiest days, those are the days he needs to pray more. When there's more things and more demands on him, that's when he needs to have my eyes open and, and walk into this day with uh, with an eye for people, not just the stuff that needs to get accomplished. You get a glimpse of that in the passage that we already read earlier, but from Luke chapter four, again, at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and they said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. You get the sense that that Jesus' prayer helped him focus on what was most important. People were clamoring. They wanted him to do something else, but he had already prayed and said, no, this is what God has for me. My eyes are open because I spent time in prayer. I remember uh, this week was a pretty, uh, pretty busy week for me, uh, a little bit more than normal. And uh, Brenda was on a trip. My wife's a flight attendant, so she was in Frankfurt, and I had Thursday night to myself. Thursday night, what was Thursday night? It was the first day of the NFL, sacred day in my calendars. And to tell you the truth, at the end of the week, all I wanted to do was just sit in the TV by myself and watch the game. However, I had been uh, praying, and some of the staff can attest to it. They've heard me pray about a friend, a neighbor called Tim, and I've been praying for Tim throughout this week. And uh, I I just couldn't watch the game alone. I just knew that I had to call Tim and invite him over to watch the game. And we came over and watched the first half together, had an awesome spiritual conversation uh, that I can't go into detail. But had I not been praying for Tim, I guarantee I would not have invited him over. I wouldn't have noticed him. I would have thought about myself and and watched the game totally by myself. And sometimes I'm still going to do that. But that night, (laughs) that night, uh, God said, hey, you've been praying for this guy. He's already on your heart and mind. Now see him. Now that you see him. What happens when you start to pray for people by name is you don't just see them and grow in your compassion toward them. You begin to see opportunities that you didn't see before. Because now they're just right before you. And if you don't pray, I'm telling you, you're going to miss the opportunities. Your mind is just not thinking about it. But as you pray for people, you see when there's opportunities. I saw there was a chance to gather with him that night, largely because I was praying for him. A third thing that prayer does for people is that it makes you bold and faith-filled. So if one of the ways the enemy tries to keep us from blessing others is to make us fearful, to make us unbelieving. But when we pray for others, we resist the enemy and we become bold and faith-filled people. So, did you identify with fear and unbelief being one of the battles that you face? Did you think to yourself, I can't do it? I'm telling you, you gotta start praying because when you start to pray, God's gonna fill you with boldness and new faith that you didn't have before you prayed because you're trusting something to His hand and recognizing it's His work and you get to just participate in it. It's not necessarily anything wrong with being afraid, uh, fear's normal. But we can choose to overcome our fears by doing the things that we might be afraid of. And God can give us the boldness to do that. And that comes as we begin to pray for people. The fear of rejection or the fear of failure begin to subside when we constantly are lifting things up to God and growing in boldness and knowing that we have placed things in his hands instead of ours. I find some encouragement that when Jesus gave the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, the way that it's recorded, it says that the disciples who are with him, and he's about to tell them, Go to all the nations. He's telling them, Go, as I've blessed, now you go live to bless. And it says that on the mountain, some were feel, feared, uh, some doubted, and some worshipped. Even among those disciples that he was calling to go do it, there were some that feared and some that doubted. A little bit of a trick question, so I don't want you to, don't, don't feel embarrassed. I'm not trying to embarrass you. When you think of the Great Commission, what's the first word that comes to mind? Money. <laughs> think go, right? Because that, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 9. He did say go to all nations. But Luke records it a little bit differently in Acts. and Acts, this is the way that Luke records what had happened. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. and You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We can go back to the first part of the, the slide that has the first part of that. I just want to point out that what was his command? Do not leave. Wait, you need to wait. And how did they interpret wait? Just a few verses later, in verse twelve, the apostles returned to Jerusalem on the hill called the Mount of Olives on Sabbath days. Walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all did what? They joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, Mary and the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They knew what wait meant. Wait meant go pray. Go pray and wait, because you need the power of the Spirit. If you're going to do what I'm about to ask you to do, you need to wait. And Jesus knew of their fear. He knew that they needed to first pray, and in the place of prayer, they would grow in faith, they would grow in boldness, and they'd be willing to step out and do what Jesus had given them to do in blessing others. First, they had to wait what does weight mean? Begin with prayer. (laughs) Begin with prayer. That's how they did it. If you go later, a few chapters later, you see that they're actually uh, getting persecuted. And in their persecution, they go instead of running away or instead of resisting those that were persecuting them, they go back to the place of prayer. In Acts chapter 4, they gather together and they pray. And this is what it says. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you have that fear when it comes to thinking about blessing others? I'm telling you, if you start to pray and pray for people by name, what's going to happen is you're going to grow in boldness because you've handed things over to God and you trust him to be the one that's doing the work and he's the one that's going before you. And you'll be filled with faith and boldness. If that's something that's causing you resistance, I'm telling you, prayer is the place to begin. So if we will commit to pray like Jesus did, we're going to become more bold and faith-filled. Uh, some of you guys were at the, uh, the gathering that we had yesterday. It was really, really fun to celebrate our 10-year anniversary and kind of have a, our annual business meeting. But we heard tons of different stories, and we actually saw a really cool video that had a lot of old pictures over the last 10 years. It was really fun for me to watch because I've been a part of it for the, all those 10 years. Um, and one of them just kind of brought to mind a memory one of the things that we did when the very first year that we started Midtown was we did a big thing, it was a citywide campaign called Explore God. And one of the things that we were encouraged to do with Explore God was like, invite your neighbors to come to your house to watch these videos and discuss issues related to God. And I remember thinking, that doesn't sound like very much fun and I don't think my neighbors are gonna wanna do it. But what we did is we committed together, all of us that were doing it at the time, we committed to pray and we prayed for each other. And And I would text Jake and be like, all right, I'm going out right now. I'm going out to make my invitations. I'm afraid, will you pray for me? And as we did, we saw God respond and people come into our homes and have these questions. But I'm telling you, it wouldn't have done it had I not bathed it in prayer to get myself the courage to go knock on a door and make an awkward invitation that some people received. Like that's what prayer can do. Those things make sense? I could have given him an entirely different sermon. I thought about trying to do two parts, but there was no room for it. But an entirely different sermon about how prayer actually changes the hearts of the people that we're praying for, because it does. And we can do nothing apart from God. God's the one who has to open people's hearts and reveal himself to them. That could have been a whole separate idea of prayer, but what I wanted to focus on today was was where we face resistance and try to convince you that prayer is what can change you to be Not a selfish person, not an apathetic person, not a busy person, not a distracted person, not an unbelieving person, not a fearful person. Instead, if you pray for people by name, what you're going to see is you're going to grow in selflessness, grow in compassion, you're going to grow in mission-minded and focused, you're going to be bold, you're going to be faith-filled, all because you begin in prayer. Each week during the series, we're trying to present everyone in the church with, with one thing, One thing for you to do to try to practice this way of Jesus, guess what it is? No. (laughs) It is to begin with prayer, but real specifically, to begin to write down the names of several people. You don't have to spend the night on a mountain praying through the night like Jesus did before he picked his 12, but we want you to spend time in prayer this week and ask God, like, who are some people that you've put in my life? that I'm going to commit to start praying for by name daily. That's what we want to ask you to do. Pray for them by name, not not just generalizations, my classmates or my coworkers, by name. Let God bring those people to your mind. I mean nothing politically by this, really, really, truly, politics aside, but one of the most powerful movements that has happened in recent years is the Say Their Name movement. I've heard that, right? Hashtag Say Their Names. It was aimed to be a movement to cause people to say the name of African-Americans that had been killed rather than just see their face or click on the next news story. Say their name. And what I'm asking you to do is to say the name of your friends to God. Say their name. One of the guys that I learned a lot from in prayer uh, told this great story that uh, always served as an example to me that about how God actually invites us to pray for other people. He loves when we pray for other people. He was uh, 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 ministering to some international students, and this one student um, had an issue with his car. He took his car to the mechanic, and the mechanic did something wrong that actually killed the car. And so he was helping this international student go to, like, small claims court so he could actually try to, you know, get some justice with this. My friend tells a story that his friend, uh, international student, didn't speak English very well, and so he was going to go kind of, you know, be with him in the court to try to help him plead his case and make his case. And so... The, the case comes to order, the international student comes up and says, you know, what, what's your issue? And my friend says, well, steps in to start to speak for him. And, and then the judge says, who are you? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm just his friend. He doesn't speak English very well. I just want to advocate for him. He says, no, get out of my courtroom. You don't belong here. You don't represent him. You, you have no authority. And Steve had to leave. And he said, when the doors slammed behind him, he thought instantly of prayer and how God invites us to come and advocate on behalf of other people. Like that's what we're asking you guys to do. Will you do that this week? Pray about it. Bring some people to mind. For those that want an extra challenge, I want to I encourage you even to do something even a little bit different. When given the opportunity, pray for people on the spot. Like pray for your friends, like on the spot. I was encouraged this week talking with with Michael. He's got, people know that he prays for them at his workplace and just this last week at a party, someone came up to him and said, Michael, I've got a prayer request, will you pray for me? Like we can just pray for people right there on the spot. People will ride on the coattails of your faith. Very rarely will people resist prayer. Um, Sometimes they do. If Tim, uh, the, the friend that came over for the football game, asked if I could pray for him, he said no. Sometimes they say no. But often people say yes, more often I find than not. Like when my neighbor Joe Cooper uh, came over in tears a couple years ago because his wife had gone through just a simple procedure, but then got sepsis and was like literally on death's door, about to die. And Joe comes over and just tells me, I said, "Hey Joe, how's you know how's she doing?" He says, "Not good, man." I just said, "Joe, can I can I pray for her right now?" And just put my hands on Joe and prayed for Courtney, and she came out of it. Or. Uh, Two neighbors that Brennan and I really love, uh, Steve and Mary Jo, uh, had them over for dinner a couple months ago. They were telling us about their, the sadness they were feeling because their granddaughter, or, I mean their, their daughter, has been unable to get pregnant and has had a, um, had a miscarriage. So I just said, hey, Steve, Mary Jo, can I just pray for your daughter right now? They said yes and finished praying and there's tears, tears in their eyes. Happened again last month when we were at their house having dinner. Another situation, that's a little bit more private, came up. And I said, hey, can I I pray for you right now? Same thing. Prayed for them, tears in their eyes, when we we closed in prayer. I challenge you to think about doing that too. Number one, let's all find some people. Let's say their names. Let's come before God, the judge that welcomes us in to advocate on behalf of others. Let's say their names. Will you do that this week? And will you take a step of faith, possibly, when given an opportunity, because as you start to pray for people, you're going to see opportunities that you didn't see before to actually pray for someone on the spot. Just offer, you just ask. Sometimes they say no, like Tim did, sometimes they say yes, like Stephen Mary Joe did. You just say, Can I pray for you right now? Can you imagine what it would look like if all of us had a list of five or so people that we were all praying for? I mean, that that'll be hundreds of people. Like, how would that impact? the city of Austin, if we, we've got all these people that we're constantly bringing before God and how will it change your heart to make you the type of person who's eager to bless people like Jesus did? Let me pray for us toward that end. God, I pray that you would bring people to mind this week that we would just say, we're gonna begin in prayer by praying for these folks. Bring them to mind, God, Pray, Lord, that as we take steps to begin doing that, praying for people on a daily, you know, regular basis, that you would do that work of making us more selfless, make us more compassionate, and make us focused and, and people-minded. Make us bold, make us full of faith. We thank you for your secret, secret purpose in prayer and ask that you would change us as we do this together. We do want to practice the ways of Jesus. You can join me in praying as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.